Hello and welcome. I'm Chris Neeland, host of Cult Brand Secrets. This podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and The Gathering. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit, and it's a masterclass for brand leaders hoping to reap the benefits of having hyper-engaged customers, prospects, and staff. In every episode, I present one of industry's biggest disruptors, a brand leader who is earning cult-like status by thinking and behaving differently than his or her mediocre peers. These brand leaders will share examples of how their companies, such as Marvel, M&Ms, Beats by Dre, Yeti, or the Dallas Cowboys, are spending their time and their resources creating advocates by enhancing their customer and their employee experiences in ways that make interacting with them irresistible. So check out all our episodes to gain access to the most impressive business leaders sharing their most important advice. I was a fan of Brian Whipple's long before I ever had the chance to meet him. He and I worked for the same marketing firm back in the early 2000s, but I never actually met him back then. He left and went on to become the COO at Hill Holiday in Boston. And then after that, he joined Accenture to head up their digital and their interactive division. But what happened next is just exceptional. Because under Brian's leadership, Accenture Interactive went on to become this $10 billion a year juggernaut. And they have redefined what it even means to be an agency or a consultancy today. Accenture Interactive in less than a decade has become the envy of professional service providers everywhere. As you're soon gonna discover, Brian's leadership skills, his communication skills, and his business acumen, they're off the charts. And I have watched his company produce customer experiences for some of the world's biggest and best brands. And I'm so impressed with not only Accenture Interactive's ability to come up with big, bold ideas, but to also expertly execute those and bring them to life in super compelling ways. Brian has become a bit of a mentor to me now that he has stepped down as their leader. And I have been so pleased to learn that he is as smart and as personable as I could ever have hoped. I asked him to come speak at the gathering, thinking that he would provide some valuable business advice. And he not only did that, but he also just provided some great life advice. If we do what Brian suggests, we will become better leaders, but we'll also become better humans. You know, he gave the concluding keynote at our event, and to me, it felt like I was listening to a great commencement speech at some sort of like university graduation ceremony. I took several pages of notes because his content was just so relevant and so practical. I hope that you find it that way too. Here's Brian Whipple. Uh, Some of you probably know what this crazy thing called Accenture Interactive is. Uh, Some of you probably have no idea, don't care to know, and either of those is totally good. Um, Because I'm actually not going to talk about that. I've had a super lucky life. Um, I mean, almost, not almost, emotionally, uh, I feel that even as I'm saying it. I've done... I'm just fortunate to have done some amazing things in my personal life and in work life. I've traveled 
to most of the continents for work. I've, I've seen the cultures. I've been in people's houses. I've had meals with them and learned about them and held their babies. And uh, it's been an amazing journey uh, with the people in Accenture Interactive around the world. I've had um, you know, great personal experiences. Uh, many of the leaders on stage here at this event have talked about their families, which I totally love. Um, I have been blessed um, with a, I have a brother and a sister, and I have three children. I have a, a multiracial family. I have just many things that have been great learning experiences and continue to be so. And I am one freaking lucky dude. And I'm coming to you today with that perspective. Um, I'm also coming to you today to tell you some stories. And um, some of them you find, may find more entertaining than others, uh, but they're all true. Uh, and um, some of them are a little bit painful, particularly to me, <laughs> you'll see. Um, so I've been doing this CEO gig for Accenture Interactive for about 12 years. It's grown and you know, I've been lucky and we've been on the cover of this magazine and this thing and the biggest digital agency in the world and all this stuff. None of that, it's meant a lot to the business. It hasn't meant that much to me personally, um, except for the fact that we're developing families and successes and creating uh, confidence and security in families and helping reinvent experiences around the globe. So that being said, I'm sitting there last summer I'm in lovely Carlsbad, California, and we were filming a mini-series on experience reimagination or the need for that. And it was after the production day, and I was talking with uh, my then chief of staff and another marketing exec named Tina, and we were having a drink, and tequila may have been involved. And Tina fashions herself a... Uh, you guys would know what it's called. You know, I, I call them tarot cards. She calls them goddess cards, goddess tarot cards. I don't these things I don't particularly claim to understand. And she's reading people's, I guess not fortunes. She yelled at me when I said that. So reading people's cards, and there she's doing it, and there people are in line. And I'm like, I'm ready for a major life change. And I've been doing this 12 years. I think I want to step down and do you know some nonprofit work, board work be there more for my one child that's still in high school. And uh, so I boldly asked her to read my cards. And I said, but I haven't done this before. I'm a little bit superstitious. And I said, tell me about the cards. So she fanned them out in front of me and there's goddesses and uh, kings and there's uh, end everlasting love and there's all these like wonderful things and, and all that. And so she makes me draw a card and I draw the dead bird of isolation, okay? <laughs> I kid you not, I mean, for fuck's sake, Tina. I mean, of all the cards, I, 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 you know, I think like, I mean, like being pranked where she opens up the cards and they're all that, you know, like it's, I'm being set up. But no, they're all goddesses and kings except for this one. And I'm like, this was, this was my, the beginning of my demise. No, it actually didn't quite happen. The demise didn't quite happen, but I don't know what good fortune that card is supposed to represent. Maybe one of you can educate me, but that was what I drew. So I, I, that caused me to have a lot of reflection and a lot of really uh, introspection on what I wanted to do. And I decided I did want to step down after all, despite the dead bird of isolation. And then I did announce that. And just as a point of reference, because it's relevant to this talk, Accenture Interactive had grown to 50 
2,000 people. It was insane, right? So as a leader, I try to be present among them, but you, I mean, that's sort of beyond the realm of possibility, right? In any sort of interpersonal, look them in the eyes kind of way. So I communicated this in the ways that were available to me, video messages, et cetera, some in person. And I got an overwhelming, um, somewhat flattering, somewhat nerve-wracking, but an overwhelming abundance of inquiries and questions. And most of them were from team members from around the globe, and they felt like their, I don't know, their uncle, their father, their leader, whatever, was abandoning them. And really what they wanted to know is, give me advice. And it wasn't what I was thinking. I thought they were going to ask about, how do we continue to, to beat the holding companies and grow three times as fast? Or how do we act like an entrepreneurial tech startup inside a big company? Or all these business questions, right? And they almost, I mean, there were like a thousand questions. And they were all essentially this, which surprised me. And I'm kind of a student of this question. I'm an observer. Many of our leadership team meetings, I sit there and I watch, and I watch their body language. I listen to specific words people use that they choose. I'm a, I'm a watcher. And I've formed opinions that I'm going to share with you. So this presentation, I don't have the super cool machine gun fire uh, Call of Duty thing. Those, the videos, it, it, you know, they've been amazing at the gathering. I, I, I mean, I come from a world of high production value. I'm truly impressed. I'm not going to offer that. What I am going to offer is some very distinct, very crisp challenges to each one of you. And I want you to think, do I do this? Do I not? Do I agree with him? Do I disagree with him? Hmm. I want you to actually think about it. I'm going to suggest nine or 10 things. They're very specific. And I believe firmly, after doing what I've done for the last 12 years, that therein lies the answer to this question. So this is where we start. I went to the airport. And I took a picture of the books that were available on success. Where do we turn? We turn to experts. What do experts do? They write books. Lots of books here. There's one right there. This is what we see, okay? Too big to fail, lean startup, leading from inside, outside, all great, right? Most of them around business success. Some of them, you know, all this stuff. But you know, for me, all that stuff, I don't know, I'm like this. I'm in this scene. You know, I'm not sure in my experience, I, I kind of think that's, I mean, no offense to all the great authors of the world. It's not really my thing. And I, in terms of the key to success, I don't think it's, I think it's much more clear what you individually need to do to be successful. This discussion is not about building a company's brand. This is about building your brand, who you are. Disagree with me if you want, but I, disagree that it needs to be that hard, that it needs to be complex and you need to digest 300 pages to understand how to be successful. So my hope in these stories 
is that you just take a few of them, one thing, two things, and you bring it back to your, to your partner, to your spouse, to your child, to your collaborator, to your team, and you say, you know, let's talk about this one thing. Do we do this well? And that would be a major win for me, and I would appreciate you listening to that. So let's get started. So what's the first thing? It's gonna sound easy, but you know, it's really not. It's really, really not. So I want you to roll around in this question. I mean, come on, aren't we all really self-aware? I would argue, you know, not so much. Let me digress. It's around 20 years ago. I'm newly married to my wife at the time. Had no kids at that time. We're in Chicago. When she takes me for my birthday to the circus. And this was back before circuses caught bloody hell for treatment of animals. So I'm in the United Center in Chicago, the giant arena, right? There's elephants in there and lions and cages and motorcycles and all this nuts, right? And I'm like 30 rows up sitting on the aisle. And what happens is in between the acts, the clowns entertain you. That's what, that's the program at circuses, right? Um, so this clown comes up the aisle and he just plucks me right there and brings me all the way down. He got two other people from the United Center and I'm like, oh boy, right? And there's like 20,000 people there and he gets a big jump rope and he gives me one end of the jump rope, this other guy, another end of the jump rope, puts this woman in the middle, and, you know, and we're... Whoosh, and the, and the woman, you know, jumps over the rope. She jumps over the rope, well, seven or eight, nine times, and you know, they clap, whatever. Then the woman and this dude over here, they switch places. Same thing, me and the guy do the rope. I mean, the, the woman do the rope, and the guy jumps over, no problem. Then the clown comes up to me with a big burlap bag. Puts this bag over my head. Smells like elephant shit, okay? It's down to here, and he says, Turns his mic off and he says, uh, you're gonna, what, you, uh, you can't see anything, but uh, super creepy voice. Uh, you know, uh, you're gonna, I'm gonna count, jump, 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 and you're gonna jump and go faster and faster and you can do it. I was like, okay, I'm like, you know, kind of cocky. I'm like 30 years old, reasonably fit, I can do this. So I go down to what I perceive as the middle and they start to, and I jump and I hear, the clown's like behind me here and he's like, jump, jump and I'm like, jump, and pretty soon it's like jump, jump. And I'm like, <laughs> like that. And of course I'm ducking like this. I could feel myself ducking and it goes really fast. Jump, 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 jump. And the fans are roaring. And I'm thinking, this is the best, right? And you're like, why is he talking about this stupid story? So I do it and I succeed. I do not fall. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm bad. So clown says, good job. Takes the bag off my head. Everyone laughs, brings me back to the aisle. I go up, people are like high-fiving me, laughing. I'm like, oh, they think I did that. Okay, cool. I get and I sit down next to Julie. You know, we go home, it was fun. I was like, how did you arrange that? She goes, it wasn't arranged, just pure, pure luck. Three days later, I'm on the phone with my brother. She's in the kitchen over here, I'm down here in the living room. Steve, yeah, what'd you do for your birthday? Uh, well, well, Steve, uh, you know, I was at the circus and we did this thing with a jump rope. I got called down there 
And we, the other two people went down. I went with the bag, and I, but I didn't fall. I didn't fall. And Julie goes, what do you mean? What? And I'm, she's, I'm like, uh, just, I'm talking to Steve. And she says, what do you mean you didn't fall? I'm like, I didn't fall. You saw it. You were there. She goes, yeah, you didn't fall because there was no rope. There was no rope. For three days, I believed. That was the entire gag. The entire stadium knew that, except for me. What an idiot. And I have the nerve to like think I'm some badass fit dude jumping over this rope that did not exist. I hate clowns, okay? They are evil, evil. They have the weird, creepy mouths and the makeup and their mouths are like where they're not really. And just, I, I do not clowns. So all of us should be more self-aware. So three times in the last two years, I have surveyed a thousand executives. Now, you know what this is going. Are you a self-aware person? And the answer, yes, definitely, was checked off this many times. Three independent studies, different geographies, different age groups, 90%, let's call it, okay? 85, whatever you want to do. What's the average of that? High 80s? Makes sense. People are really self-aware, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Next question. Do you believe other people are self-aware? And huh, how many answer yes, definitely? That's a fascinating dynamic, is it not? Just that alone. So that is the building block to the other stuff I want to talk to you about. Because without self-awareness as to who you are, what makes you happy, what you're good at, what you suck at, you know, what frustrates you, what you're, all that stuff, if you don't know that stuff, you can't build. So how do you find out? Well, I don't have a mystery to that, but you start by asking people. I started asking people. I asked my head of operations, this guy, Brandon, lives in Atlanta. And they thought about it, he came back to me the next, he says, I want a day to think about it. And he says, Brian, I've heard you speak many times. And he says, this is what you do. You use the word basically way too much. And I said, I do not. I, I, I got pissed, like every other one. I, said, like, I don't think he's right. So I went to the videotape. 21 times in a half hour speech, I said basically in one, and that was the worst one. So I did that, basically. <laughs> when people tell you things, they're usually right. You have to listen to them. Don't do what I did. All right, so self-awareness or the aspiration for self-awareness is the first building block of this thing. The rest will flow from there. All right, second one. Sounds obvious, right? Hmm. So there's several forms of this problem not happening. I had a head of recruiting for years, wonderful woman named Catherine. So for years, she brought in top executives and would help me organize their interviewing, scheduling, all that stuff, right? You guys can all relate. So one day on a conference call, we're debating this candidate or that candidate, merits and this and that, fit. And I said, Catherine, what do you think of James? She goes, what do you, what do you mean? What do I think of him? And I pressed her and I said, what, what do you think of him? She goes, well, I don't have an opinion. 
I'm like, I don't understand. We've been recruiting this guy for five months. Haven't you been emailing with him? Yes. Do you talk to him on the phone? Yes. Well, is he on time? Yes. How does he write? How does he speak? Is he polite? Is he funny? Is he engaging? Has he got to know you at all? Is he likable? Is he an asshole? Is he rude? Does he call you back on time? Well, yeah, I know the answer is, well, then you have an opinion, right? Yeah, she goes, I did, but I thought my job was to manage the process. That's not what you want to do. So there's several forms of this. So first one is this guy. Please, please don't call on me. That's the first version of not having an opinion. Fear, don't call on me. The second one, the married couples of the world relate to this, the false apathy. It's fine. I don't care where we go. And my personal favorite, oh, no biggie, okay? <laughs> the false apathy is the second one. I touched on the third one. It's not my job to be a processor, you know, to, to be, have an opinion. It's just my job to be a processor. There are very, very few processor-only roles. There might be some, but none of you guys are in them. Make sure you have an opinion, okay? Don't hide, don't hide. So you see, if you build self-awareness and you have an opinion, you see where I'm gonna go on this. And now, I'm gonna try to tell you how to communicate that opinion in a way that will serve you better. And this is, these things are based on empirical, like, observations that this isn't just an opinion. I have practiced this, watched this, and I am absolutely telling you, if you can do the things I'm gonna talk about in the next 15 minutes better, you will be more personally successful and feel more rewarded. I am certain of that. Number three, if you got to know me, you'll know that I'm very particular about words. My mom was a elementary school librarian and aspiring children's author before she died. Um, words matter. So let's talk about that. So who here has talked to someone about one of these things? Rhetorical question, obviously everyone. And what do we typically say? Um, and how can we be, and this is the phrase I want you to, to think about, how do we be both authentic yet accurate? Because what happens is, when um, someone says to me, childbirth was super painful. And I say, yeah, I understand. <laughs> As we say all the damn time about things. I don't understand that. There's no possible way I understand that. You can only understand things that where you have a personal frame of reference. I get into this, like, for example, raising a multiracial family. That's a challenge and rewarding, it's complicated and blah, blah, blah. Like, so that's a, a limited set of people that can understand that. I understand a limited set of things. You understand a limited set of things. So quit saying you understand when really in many cases, probably more than half what you mean is, I can imagine. You're listening to Cult Brand Secrets. We'll be right back. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. 
Oh yeah, I can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Welcome back. Here's more of Cult Brand Secrets. There is a difference. When you relate to something because you've had a similar experience, say I understand if it makes you think about it, say I can imagine, and I'm telling you over time, people will find you a more authentic and accurate person and like you better. Who's given someone advice when they say, can I have some advice on this, what would you do? How do we be both authentic and accurate when giving advice? Hmm, what is the first thing people say? The analogous one to, I understand, it's this. Well, if I were you, I would so-and-so. But that's not what your friend is asking you. Your friend is not asking you what you would do. What your friend is asking you to do is to reflect on your knowledge of him or her, and then knowing them, what would you recommend? Words matter. What I would do doesn't matter if someone's asked me for more advice. I have to study the strengths and what makes the other person happy and then think about that and say, knowing you, have you considered blah, blah, blah. Again, words matter. You do this over time. It will make a difference. Third one. While listening, how many of us are really just waiting to talk? Now, most people interpret What's the first sign of not listening? What people will say is interrupting, talking over you. Honey, you're not, you're not hearing me out. Blah, 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 right? We all do it. I do it. But the actual more common form of not listening is just thinking about what you're going to reply. You're quiet. You're not interrupting, but thinking about the rebuttal. What phrases should I use? What words should I use? When should I jump in? Is that pause enough for me to jump in? And when you're thinking about just sort of waiting to talk and get your point, when you're chomping like there, that really means you're actually not listening to what that person says. So those are just three things to be aware of. So I'm telling you these things matter. So speaking of words, now I am relieved for my first time at the gathering, but I'm in a lot of you know, big corporate stuff. Don't talk like some weird person that is trying to use fancy words or frameworks or bullshit. And just don't talk like that. Just don't do it. It's pretty simple. I mean, no one says, hey, honey, what's the low-hanging fruit for the weekend? No one says that, okay? No one says that. Hey, last night, I got a hard stop at 2 a.m., okay? Last one. No one says that. You know, dinner. We're running up the flagpole at home, okay? I mean, 
I mean, so why do we talk like this at work? Some of you don't, but many of you do. I've heard you. Okay, and I'm telling you, don't talk like that. I mean, what is end-to-end -end transformation? I come from a, I mean, you can imagine how many times I've heard that, right? If it's end-to-end, -end, then when does it actually begin? So I, I don't actually know the answer to that question. So if you have to assume different vocabulary, different nomenclature, if you have to talk differently than you do with your spouse, your kids, your mom, your dad, if you have to talk differently at work, don't work there. Don't work there. It's that simple. Ask yourself, do you use different phrases in your emails, in your work? All right, ready? We're building here. We all have conflict. 95% of conflict is in one of four buckets. First scenario, why have the conflict? Let's just avoid the conflict. Let's just avoid it. It's easy. Nothing gets resolved. That's very common. We all know that, not controversial. Number two, the opposite of that. Fight to the death. Which, by the way, you know, you might get your way, but it's gonna really suck if you're wrong. It's demotivating. And by the way, people that fight to the death, no one likes you, okay? I guarantee you, you might think they do, and you might not care, but it's relevant. The third scenario, this is the more subtle one, the predetermined compromise. Let's just kind of water it down, and people act happy, you know, it's not so bad, I can live with it, you can live with it, nothing great happens, but, you know, we're not innovating, we're not, you know, it's just, it's just we're gonna go into something ahead of time to avoid the conflict by just, we all kind of get half of what we want, whatever. And the fourth scenario, my personal favorite, and this is probably, if you're thinking about it, what you've been waiting for, haha, let's just agree while we're in the room. And then when we're out the room, we're gonna be the passive aggressive fucker that we are, and we're gonna totally take this down, okay? This happens all the time. There's many versions of it. There's the, I can't believe he did that. There's the, there's the secret undermining. There's the, I mean, it is the worst. <laughs> happens all the time. 95, I said 95 is one of those four. So what's the other five? And how do you grow this 5%? So let me propose to you a new way. I have made a career on this one point. I have ma helped make other careers on this one point. I could put 10 leaders up on this stage, including one that spoke at the gathering the last time it was live, who says that this one thing when he handled it differently changed his life. I'm not exaggerating. All right, here it is. Say what you mean and mean what you say, but, but, Accept it when it doesn't go your way. You don't get to pick everything. No one does. But have an opinion, voice your opinion respectfully, mean your opinion, that generates respect. It takes inner strength. This is how you manage conflict. 
You, but the key to this is you have to be willing to accept and to, to execute someone else's strategy. And this one point is immensely important if you want to grow in your career. What does that really mean? Well, you know, dear Santa, from my experience, I honestly believe that asking for cookies to be left out for the reindeer is a bit dangerous to their health, given, you know, 8 billion people and all. But if you elect to ask for it anyway, I promise to gladly support it and encourage my family as well. I actively support that it is your decision. So if the cookies need to be left out, you, sometimes you need to leave the cookies out. Do not ever say or not say, I don't want to leave the cookies out. Say, I don't want to leave the cookies out. But then, if it doesn't go your way, be willing to leave the cookies out, okay? Please, save yourself. Conflict. Super necessary. Super healthy. Best thing you can do as a leader, surround yourself with people that disagree with you, but that have learned to disagree the right way. This one thing, I could put it number one, I could put it number 10, whatever. This is the most important thing. Okay, let's move along. Brand matters, your brand. Did we really change that much? 25, 35, 45, older, you're in your mid-careers and you're developing, you're in the places many of you are in right now. Do we really? I would argue on the margins, maybe, but I haven't seen many cases of that. I mean, I've put, a hundred executives through executive coaching on this points. 10, 15% success rate. Because until people to buy into these types of programs, they can't really change. Or should we, realizing who we are, take advantage of who we are? And instead, find a job that's at the intersection of what you're good at and what you enjoy, where you can be your authentic self. I am thrilled that I've heard several other leaders use a phrase to be your authentic self or similar over the last two days. And that's where you can find your personal brand. Okay, and speaking of a personal brand that you want to avoid, okay, this one, what, is I, what do I mean by this? I mean, a classic mistake, and I want you to understand what I'm talking about. Ugh, right? Pain, pain. Empirical study, slides like this. How many things does, do you, how many things do you remember on a slide like that? I would argue maybe one. It's definitely not more than two, okay? All right, so this is one of my favorite stories. I'm at a big conference, like, <laughs> I'm at a big conference, sort of by this room, maybe a little bit bigger. I'm sitting over here. It's kind of like it was set up at the gala last night with big, like, rounds. I'm sitting over there, and this guy, it's a big marketing tech conference, and this guy's getting up, giving this long presentation, throwing, like, seven or eight slides like this one up there, and... I, I, I stood up and I'm like, I'm gonna take an experiment. I stood up and there's probably, I don't know, three, 400 people in the room. And I stood up right over there. I looked around and what do you think I saw? 
I mean, literally more than 80% of the people on their phones. I mean, brutal, right? I mean, you could say disrespect, but I kind of don't blame them. But why is that? Why is that? Because no one actually does this. Again, the gathering presenters have been awesome and don't do this. But many of you, when you go back, ask yourself, do I do that? And I want to make a point. But before I leave, let me tell you what happened later that night. This exact gentleman, and I'm not going to So I stood up when I saw this, and I took on my iPhone this picture. I took this picture three years ago. Later that night, we're at the bar. This guy's behind me, and his friend asks him, I kid you not, his friend asked him, how did your presentation go today? And he goes, it was awesome. Whipple loved that he stuck up. He stood up and took a picture of my presentation. <laughs> I mean, is that not like self-awareness and length kills and all that all wrapped up? I heard this with my own ears. I mean, you can't make that up. What is this? I mean, what, what is this? Yeah, I love this part, okay? So we do all blah, 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 and then we recap. We love to recap, okay? We recap at the end, because that's where and where we recap. And this one, or we sum up. We love to sum up, okay? Mr. Darcy is the best, Lady Catherine's the worst, Bob, who knows what that's from? Okay, do anybody read classic literature anymore? Anybody? Does someone tell me who? Thank you. I feel my mom would be proud. Okay, you know what's better? Let's do it this way. Go ahead. Write your manifesto, or the Glenifesto, or the Janusifesto, or the Namefesto, as they humorously call it in Accenture Interactive. Just say this at the top. I mean, how easy is that? For fuck's sake, just make that one change, and then people can read on if they want. Okay? Just do that. Because, and this is the point I want you to think about, lengthy slides and email. Who are they for? We tell ourselves, oh, I gotta tell them this, and I can't leave this out, and I have to tell them this, and what about this point, and I learned this, so I need to include that. We tell ourselves that that length is for the recipient, but it is actually for the author and rooted in insecurity. It is because you're not confident that you're gonna miss something or someone's gonna find you incomplete or somehow inadequate, and it has the exact opposite effect. It's disguised as for the viewer, but it's actually for the author. So, low maintenance. We talk a lot about this. Do you aspire to be low maintenance? What does that actually mean? Well, you know, I could do a similar survey. There's the serial updater version of high maintenance, wants to meet three times a week to update you when you're already updated. Excessive need for FaceTime, um, you know, Lot always unhappy, blah, 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 right? Um, there's nothing wrong with escalating. Escalating after you attempt to resolve something is a, is a great quality of a below maintenance employee. Never escalating is a sign of a high maintenance employee, okay? But there's just some things. So people think that they're low, ma they're, they're low maintenance, but it's kind of like the self-aware thing. I mean, we're all high maintenance on certain things. What is the number one sign? that you might be more high maintenance than you think. So if you're X years old and over the last 10, 20 years, 
<laughs> no one's ever told you this, you're probably more high maintenance than you think. <laughs> Guaranteed, including myself. And we had this thing, which I thought I'd share, you don't have to use it, prom score, PR, productivity over maintenance. Pro, pro, productivity O over maintenance. My 16-year-old told me, Dad, do you know what the uh, O in flail fish stands for? And I go, what? And he goes, of. I'm like, okay. This is, I don't know what that was, but that's what he told me. This aspire to be, if, if you are a high-maintenance individual, then maybe that's okay, but you better be really good because your prom score needs to be elevated because the denominator in this little hypothetical equation is elevated. All right. I mean, sounds obvious. I kid you not. I took this picture a year ago. Ready? Major U.S. newspaper. Someone sat down in the editorial board that, more, that week and said, who's got the lead article for the business section? And someone raises their hand and says, I do. I want to write a story on how moms should not come to the job interview. And someone says, that's a great idea. How is that possible? Okay, just someone tell me how that's possible. And then this is the best part. We add a little clap caption and it says, oh, by the way, bringing a parent to a job interview can be counterproductive, Getty Images. I mean, how is this even possible? I mean, that, that, what does this mean? Those of you that have kids, oh, you're two sleeps away from vacation, you're three sleeps away from this. I get to see you, I'll be gone in three sleeps. It's cute, right? I use it. We all wanna write that email explaining why we're right. Okay, maybe a long one. We all wanna do that. Just give it one sleep. I'm begging you, don't do it that day. Do not. All that, both points will be there the next day and I guarantee you be more effective. And lastly, don't be the last to leave virtually ever. Because stupid shit lasts a long, long time. And we've all done it or, or will be at the risk of doing it. So lastly, I wanna leave you with just a couple of thoughts. Many leaders up here, I mean, when Tim talked at the NFL, talked for a half hour or so, he didn't once really talk about football. Really at all. I thought that was amazing. Because it's a platform for many things. And leveraging that platform is important. You have to connect what you're doing with something you believe in. And so no matter how maybe indirect it is, when you were a child, you wanna do something important with your life. So don't lose that. This, we put a man on the moon more than 50 years ago. Now we're sending people to space and paid for rockets and all this. Despite what your view on that, the reality is the technology in today, we can do virtually anything. I mean, the advances in wearable devices and I have a whole separate president. I mean, it's, it's amazing and inspiring and awesome the things we can do now. So however, indirect, find something that you think is important. And I'm not telling you in this talk to do that so you feel better. 
I'm not telling you to do that to find greater purpose, although I want you to. I'm telling you to do that, to try to help our world because you will be more successful. That's what this talk about. You will be more successful if you can explain to your sister, to your brother, why what you do is important. And if you can't do that, you should probably change jobs again. Think about it. So lastly, and I want to thank you for having me, um, this point is absolutely critical. Nobody wants to work for someone that is all work all the time, that takes themselves too seriously, that thinks they're too cocky, too arrogant, that they don't have flaws. No one wants to work for that, okay? <laughs> do not take yourself too seriously. It's contagiously a bad thing to do. Have some fun with your life. You only got one life. Thank you for listening. Brian knows a lot of smart and powerful people. He has been very successful helping a lot of other people become very successful. It was a real honor to be able to have him come to Banff and share his thoughts on how we can better ourselves. And I love the simplicity of how he communicated his message. He talked about being self-aware, having an opinion, appreciating that the words we use matter. He talked about how we need to be better at handling conflict, how we need to understand that stupid shit lasts a long time, and that we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. Lastly, he talked about that if you don't believe what you are doing is important, then have the courage to do something else. I like how he said that the key to success really isn't that hard. If we want to be more personally fulfilled and professionally rewarded, we just need to prioritize how we treat other people, how we interact with others. Brian reminded me that all business is personal and our human interactions matter as much as our IQ or our creative ideas, our grit or our work ethic. I needed to hear that reminder and I hope you did too. In fact, I encourage you to re-listen to Brian's talk a few times and then review your notes on a regular basis because we can only achieve heightened levels of personal and professional success if we sincerely adopt the lessons that he has shared. The fact is that he could have told us anything from that stage, but he took the time to distill his thoughts down to the single most important things that he has seen make the biggest difference. And I think that we should trust his opinion and do as he has suggested. Until next time. You've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we share the best insights gleaned from The Gathering, an annual summit for brand leaders eager to make their companies more successful and more significant. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as our executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. 
We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.